I believe Jesus Christ to be the way, the truth, and the life? You want to be a Christian. You want to live the Christian life. But you've never learned how to live the Christian life. Now, it used to be that we talked about the weather. And uh, I think nowadays we talk more about truckers in Ottawa or even the effect that COVID has had on each one of us. I feel sometimes a little bit like Walter Matthau in the movie Grumpy Old Men. I feel myself being short with people or, or angry. And I don't think that I'm being the very best witness of the gospel message that I've been asked to share. And I've thought a lot about what it means to share the gospel and the misnomer of relevancy that I hear in Christian circles. Now, it is possible, even probable, that you know someone who thinks that Christianity is a crutch. It could be family or friends, co-workers, or even our neighbors. And in that group, there exist those who would tell you that our God, our Christian God, is just a sky daddy, a slave master, cosmic bully, a tyrant, a slayer of the innocent, a baby killer, or clearly impotent when it comes to protecting his creation. Of those people, there are about roughly 75%, at least in North America, who have left the church. And they make the claim that God is for the weak and the easily confused. Now, a lot of these people are angry with God. And they accuse God of being evil. I'm sure you've, had, you've heard these accusations. Uh, unless you're living under a rock or you hide your faith from everyone around you. But I don't believe that these accusations are a surprise to any of us. Let's bring this a little bit closer to home, though. Where do you hear these accusations coming from? Could it be uncles, aunts, cousins, brothers, sisters, your parents, maybe your spouse or, spouse, or even your children? Steven Weinberg, who's a physics professor at the University of Texas in Austin, said this, I personally feel the teaching of a modern science is corrosive to religious belief. And I'm all for that. If scientists can destroy the influence of religion on young people, then I think it may be the most important contribution that we can make. Richard Dawkins, who's an evolutionary biologist in Oxford, wrote that when one person suffers, from a delusion, it's called insanity. But when many people suffer from a delusion, it's called religion. So do you feel deluded? Did you know that our universities today are telling the students that Christians are ignorant, stupid, insane, and wicked? How do they come to these kinds of conclusions? When people say they don't believe in God, we can ask them, what kind of God don't you believe in? And once they describe their version of God, you will very often find that you agree with them. You don't believe in that kind of God either. People reject some kind of caricature of God, and they compare him to a superhero or a mythical being like Zeus or Thor, or even a limited being which lives inside the universe with us and is just as morally corrupt as we are. They attribute this corrupted God thing to the God that we serve. And no wonder they don't believe. If those were my choices, 
I don't think I would believe either. So let's answer this question. Is God evil? So the God of the Old Testament is very often accused of pettiness, jealousy, being an unforgiving control freak, vindictive, a bloodthirsty ethnic cleanser, misogynistic, a homophobic bigot, a racist, or an infanticidal, megalomaniacal sadist. Wow. Why would you believe in that kind of a God anyway? In Isaiah 5, verse 20, we read, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who exchange darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So what kind of God do we serve? And is people's anger justified? Is our God evil? Let's look at one of these accusations. Let's look at the unforgiving control freak. How could God sentence all of mankind to die? We talk about the original sin or Adam's sin. With Adam, he knew that there would be a punishment for sin. Genesis 2.17 says, But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you should not eat. But then Adam sinned, didn't he? He sinned knowingly. Romans 5.19 says, as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So we received a sinful nature through Adam. Romans 5 verse 12 says this, Just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through that sin, so death spreads to all of mankind, because all have sinned. But you know what? This curse was erased through the birth of Jesus Christ. Jesus was the only man who was born without sin. And in Hebrews 7, verse 26, it says, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. And we could go on looking at each one of those accusations, which are leveled against God but we would find two things. Each accusation is baseless. And each accusation reveals God's love, his patience, and his perfect design for our lives. Now, intellectually, I think we all weigh the evidence of what we believe. And maybe we choose not to believe that Christianity is true or we discover that no one has actually told us the truth of Christianity. No one has presented to us well-reasoned evidence. But why is this? I think if we look at North America in particular, the majority of churches spend their time telling those who attend to live their best lives now. Learn to be affirming or understand the scripture and Christian terminology can be redefined or Accept everything in love. But you know what? A lot of churches are not teaching why Christianity is true. And I think if you don't know why Christianity is true, you need to ask, what's the reason that you come to church? And are you actually wasting your time by attending church? You know, it struck me, um, church is weird. It really is. Do you know that? Like, we teach a philosophy and a faith worldview that runs counter to what our culture is telling us. 
I think if anyone were to come to church, they would find it weird. And they would say, what are you doing here? What kind of things are you listening to? And wouldn't it be easier if God just let us do whatever he wanted to do? And what if we could live like everyone else and just identify as Christians? After all, we can always ask for forgiveness, right? So why do we push against God as hard as we do? Why is it that we desire the lust of the flesh as deeply as we do? Now, every one of these accusations leveled against God comes back to sins that we are prone to commit. I just thought I'd share a real brief story. So in my family, we do have a history of alcoholism. My grandfather watched it take all of his brothers but one. And I was told when I was very young that this is something that I would have to be concerned with and think about all the time. And it would be a struggle if I chose to pursue drinking. So how do I choose to respond to this? Well, in my personal life, I avoid alcohol with the exception of maybe a few drinks when we go out from time to time. But we don't, we don't make it part of our lifestyle. I look at scripture to inform me. And you know what? The Bible has a lot to say, but nowhere in the scripture can I find a verse that says that alcohol is evil in and of itself. In fact, Jesus is recorded as making some seriously high quality wine. You know what it is? It's what we do that becomes the sin. It's not the thing that's a sin. You know, it's true with food. It's true with how we work. It's true with how we deal with our money and our wealth. It's also true with sex. It's what we do with it. Jesus said in John 15, verses 8 through 19, that if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. So what this means is that we do not have to live the way the world lives. Continues on to say, but I've chosen you out of the world. And that is why the world hates you. So what is Jesus saying here? He's giving the reason that the gospel message is so powerful. Here's a very simple translation or interpretation of the verse. When we were created, God created us with a purpose. What is the purpose? To worship him forever. And that's actually the meaning of life, is to worship God forever. And then he gave us free will to accept that purpose. In uh, Matthew 4, verses 8 through 9, when Jesus is being tempted, we see Satan saying to him, I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world if you bow down and worship me. So when we read that the world hates us, it's because we're chosen. We were given something we don't deserve, and Satan can't stand it. He doesn't want us to worship God. He doesn't want us to live according to our purpose. And that word chosen in John 15, 19, doesn't refer to our eternal election. It refers to our separation from the rest of the world through an effectual calling and our designation to God's work and service. John 16, 33 says, These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, because I have overcome the world. 
Apologist Frank Turek says in his book, Stealing from God, if you're going to believe in evil, you must assume that there is also good. When you say such a thing as good exists, you must assume that there is a moral law because there must be a way to determine good from evil. So if you agree there's a moral law, then there must be a moral law giver. Without a moral law giver, humanity exists completely without worth. Because morality is based on your emotions and your pride, two very easily manipulated points of self-reference. Without a moral law giver, we become our own gods. And that is why it's important to understand why we believe what we believe. We must know what kind of God we serve. Denise and I have recently been watching the uh, CSI sort of franchise um, all the way from the beginning. We're trying to make it to the end. And you know what I found interesting is in the early parts of CSI, uh, the character of Grissom had some very interesting things to say. This is one of the quotes that he had. He said, a moral compass can only point you in the right direction. It can't make you go there. Our culture preaches that you shouldn't be ashamed of anything you do anymore. And unfortunately, Vegas was built on the principle, there is no such thing as guilt. Do whatever you want, and we're not going to tell. So without a conscience, there's nothing to stop you from killing someone. And evidently, you don't even have to feel bad about it. So if your truth is built around a materialistic worldview, and if your moral compass points only to you, then you really have no place for God. And as we read through the Old Testament, what we don't find is a vengeful God or even an evil God. What we find is a just and merciful God. We find a God whose creation has turned against him, rejected him, replaced him, and even killed him. In Isaiah 53, verse 6, it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, every one of us, to their own way. And the Lord has laid on us the iniquity of us all. The analogy of a good shepherd comes into play here. He calls to us. He searches for us. He lays his life down for us. He paid the penalty for our sin, which was the fruit of our evil nature. Every single one of us is guilty. And the only reason we try and find fault with God is because we know the truth. We know that we are guilty. John Piper wrote, There is no doubt that man could perform more evil acts toward his fellow man than he does. But if he is restrained from performing more evil acts by motives that are not owing to his glad submission to God, then even his virtue is evil in the sight of God. Nietzsche mentioned in his treaty on the death of God that we are creatures who create our own virtue. So then we could conceivably forgive our own transgressions and skip right past our obvious guilt of conscience. Well, if we follow Nietzsche's comment, we come to the same conclusion that the world has had. We come to the sermon which is preached by Disney to our kids, live your truth. When we flirt with a lie. In the search for a God, 
why would we choose to worship ourselves? There is no God, no philosophy, no worldview which can compare to our God. And why is that? That's because our God is truth. Our God is the originator of truth, the sustainer of truth. He's the embodiment of truth. The book of Romans details how our sin separates us from God and that the fallen evil nature of man is not an inconvenience that we can easily ignore or even a habit that we outgrow. The sinful nature of man is the reason Christ had to die for us. Without him, there is no salvation. Instead of being a bastion of self-righteousness, the church was meant to be a haven for sinners. But it's even more than that. I had a prof tell me one time that the church is a morgue for the dead, where the dead are raised to life. In Matthew 2, verse 17, Jesus says, It's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the God that we serve. You know, Pilate once asked Jesus, what is truth? And I think Christ was very clear on this point, wasn't he? In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's a very narrow road. It's a very small gate. And it is our job to be truth tellers, sharing the truth of Christ, the one true God, as lights in the darkness, as a city on the hill. I'm sure most of you have heard of Jordan Peterson. And he has said, it isn't that the Bible is true. It's that the Bible is the precondition for the manifestation of truth, which makes it way more than just truth. So listen, God still loves us as he loves all of creation. But God's nature is perfect and sinless. That is why we are separated from him. As a result of our sinful nature, we are eternally separated from God. If God did not love us, why would he sustain us? Even those who reside in eternal separation from him are sustained by him, even though they are banished from his presence. An evil God does not prepare a way for us to spend eternity with him. An evil God does not dwell among us to share redemption with his creation. An evil God does not die for us to take away the burden of our sin. The cross shows that our God is a God of love and forgiveness, a God of perfection and mercy, unchanging, just, and the definition of truth. So that when we seek to define what is true, it pales and falls short in the presence of Christ. So what kind of God is our God? This is the God that we serve.
do we believe what we believe we believe? 